Well, good morning, Genesis. Uh, it's so good to be with you today. And uh, can, I, can I tell you a really cool story uh, first of something that uh, happened this past week? Uh, uh, some of you know Joel. Uh, Joel serves over here, serves on our staff team. There's a picture of both Joel and I with our new friend, Mark. And uh, Mark stopped by our Noblesville campus this past week. Uh, we've never met him before uh, to encourage us. He told us a story. He's been serving as a missionary in Korea uh, for the past 13 years, but for a couple of years of that time, uh, served in full-time missions with his wife and son in Nepal. And it was about a year and a half ago when serving in Nepal uh, that he contracted an illness, and it was pretty devastating, pretty frustrating, not only for him, but for his family, and the doctors started saying that he might actually have to return uh, to the U.S. for his recovery. Well, he has parents that live in Hamilton County. He didn't grow up in Hamilton County, but his parents live here now. And so as they started thinking through the possibility of returning to the Indy area, he started searching churches uh, in Hamilton County and ran across Genesis. And again, this was about a year and a half ago. He happened to see that we were doing a series at the time called How to Get Through What You're going through. And it caught his attention because certainly it was kind of speaking to his own circumstances. Uh, he started listening to our podcasts. And not only that, but as he shared with us this past week, he's been watching every story, testimony, video that we've shared over the past year and a half. And he wanted to stop by to say, you have no idea how Genesis Church has encouraged my wife and I, our family, this past year and a half. Thank you so much for your ministry. And I just think that's so cool that not only do we have this opportunity to share our faith and to help people find their way back to God here in central Indiana, but do you know what? The Lord is reaching people as far away as Nepal and Korea through this church. And you're a big part of it, your stories and the work that God is doing through us. So I think that's a fun way to start off today. But uh, hey, we're in the third week of this series called The Unseen War, which is all about uh, exploring the realm of the unseen supernatural forces uh, that are really at work all around us. And I know that at first glance, it's easy to assume uh, that what we see all there is all there is. But when we dig into Scripture, all right, and in fact, what many of us have experienced in life is that there are these invisible forces uh, at work around us, these forces of good and evil. And every day, uh, there's a battle that takes place place between these forces, and sometimes it rages on without us, but many times we get caught up in the middle of it, and we maybe don't even realize that. I, I remember one of the first times that I became more and more aware of this reality. Uh, it was probably 12 years ago. Uh, I was on a mission trip to Sweden uh, with, with a team, and uh, we were putting on a basketball camp for, for a week uh, in Sweden to a bunch of middle school students. And uh, one evening, we, we stepped away from basketball. We went to this park in this city called Helsingborg, and we got all of our students together, all of our athletes, and we played some games, and we ate some food. And then I was given the task of sharing my faith that night and particularly in sharing the gospel message, the good news that, that our God loved us so much, uh, that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world who gave His life and that we can have forgiveness and life through Him. And so that's my assignment. And of course, in speaking to middle school students, I feel like I've got to bring my best, all right? So I've got some stories and we're having fun and laughing. And I'm about to turn the corner to start talking about the cross of Jesus. And I kid you not, and I tell you this in all all truth, 
We're here in this park, and at that very moment, there were a group of five, six kids that came riding their bikes into the park. And at the top of their lungs, screamed and shouted all the way as they rode through the park. And they not only rode through the park, but they rode through the middle of our group and everything they were doing and kept screaming until they finally exited the park. Now, our group sort of laughed and chuckled as we thought, you know, how immature, how distracting, no big deal, let's go on. It was in that moment that I had a very real sense of what the Holy Spirit was saying to me is that you are living in the midst of a very real and unseen war, that there is this battle that is taking place between good and evil, and that Satan will do everything that he can to distract us from the cause of Christ and the work of Christ in this world. And the Apostle Paul knew all about this. Uh, We looked at this last week. He writes about these spiritual battles and struggles we face in life, like in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which is just a good reminder to us that your battle isn't necessarily against your spouse, all right, that your battle is not against your mom or your dad or your kids. It may seem like it at times, but they're not the enemy. But instead, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not one to say that Satan and his demons are behind every frustrating complication that comes up in life, but I will say this. I think many of the things that we don't often recognize as spiritual attacks are indeed spiritual attacks. Things like constant battles with worry and anxiety. Uh, anger and mistrust that threatens to rip apart so, so many relationships. I, I think things like discrimination, prejudice and racism, uh, violence, horrific school shootings, as well as the fear and fighting and division that follows these things, even the temptations that we face. Satan is at the root of them. He is the enemy in this unseen war, and his goal is to create chaos, destroy God's people, and discredit the cause of Christ. You know, two weeks ago in this series, we started talking about this spiritual battle that we're in, and we prayed and asked God to open our eyes to the reality of it. Uh, Last week was more about preparing ourselves every day for the spiritual battle. Today and next week, too, we're going to spend some time bringing to light the most important person in this war, and that's the God of heaven, all right, the God of heaven, and specifically how God is present with us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and how He has given and provided for us everything that we need to take ground for the Lord here in this world. Uh, Teacher and writer Francis Chan says this about our unseen war, Satan and his strategies. He writes, if I were Satan, my ultimate goal would be to thwart God's kingdom and one of my strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. He says this, without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. And so this morning, whatever your background or whatever your understanding of the Holy Spirit might be, I want to I challenge you to kind of evaluate that against Scripture, all right, to take that to Scripture and see if maybe there's something missing. Uh, If there's something that's gone maybe misunderstood or unnoticed in your life, because in this unseen war, we have no greater gift than the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit that's made available to every single one of us. If you've got your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Uh, If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, you can turn to page 752. We'll also have these words on the screen. But uh, we're going to look specifically at Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit uh, in the New Testament this morning. But I think it's also important for us to note uh, this, that the Holy Spirit is not just some New Testament character. 
All right, he's not just someone that came around for a particular period uh, in history for us. And just to give you a brief overview of his activity in this world, I want to show you a short video put together by uh, a group of people known as the Bible Project. Check this out. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job, 
The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. You can find this video and others like it at thebibleproject.com. And I know there's a lot in that video there, but the big idea is just simply this, that the Holy Spirit is God, that He always has been and always will be. And in the Old Testament, uh, He would come on specific people for a specific amount of time and for a specific purpose. But in the New Testament, that's going to change. And I want to look at Jesus' words in John 14 with you for uh, just a moment. And you might remember a a few weeks back, these words were a part of a teaching, uh, an interaction that Jesus had with His disciples the night before He was crucified. And He's explaining to His disciples that He's going away uh, to prepare a place for them in heaven, but He says that there is someone else that will come and take his place. And so let's pick it up in John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. These are Jesus' words. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. If you're reading from the Bibles in the room, it might actually say advocate. Same word. All right. I like the word counselor a little bit better. But uh, this advocate, this counselor will be with you. He'll help you. He'll be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And so Jesus. He basically says, hey, I'm, I'm going away soon uh, to the Father in heaven, but God is going to give you another counselor to be with you forever, meaning there's not going to be any more coming and going of His presence. And so that word counselor there comes from the Greek word parakletos. All right, and uh, you can see it here on the screen, the word parakletos. It actually comes from two words, the first word being para, which means to come alongside of, uh, the way that a paralegal would come alongside of, of an attorney to assist and to aid. But the second word that makes up this word is the word kletos, which comes from the Greek word kaleo, uh, which means to be called out of or the called out one. And so parakletos means the one who is called out to come alongside of someone else. Now, as I mentioned, parakletos is often translated as counselor, and even as you think about that description of him, you could say our counselor uh, gives counsel and that he guides and directs us, but also in the sense that he is our advocate before God, just as a legal, uh, just as a legal counsel would be our advocate before a judge. And so that's what the Spirit does for us. Uh, this Spirit that Jesus promised, that He would come, that He would be with us, and that He would counsel us. But parakletos can also be translated uh, as helper. And uh, He's there, it just simply means He's there to, to assist and, and to aid in life, to come alongside of. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, "...in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness." And what a really cool thought for us that when you're at your end, like when you like arrive at those moments where you feel like I got no strength to give or I've got no wisdom anymore, that Parakletos comes in, all right, and he helps us in our weakness. Uh, even the Apostle Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians that uh, he, he made this statement, this testimony about his own life. He says, you know, when I'm weak, what I've discovered as a follower of Christ with the Spirit of God in me is that I'm actually at my greatest, I'm at my strongest, that he goes on to say, I'll actually boast about my weaknesses now because it's in my weaknesses that the Holy Spirit takes over and helps me and helps us in our weakness. You can see that He is a helper. And then the third word, if you're taking notes, is that it's also translated as intercessor. Uh, He's the one who intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. Uh, the second half of Romans 8.26 gives light to this when Paul says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And if you just think about what this passage is implying here, it's this reminder that when you're out of strength, uh, when you find like you've got nothing left to give, when you're at the end of your rope in life, not even knowing what to pray, we've got this promise that the Holy Spirit is right there and He serves as a counselor, as a helper, and that He even prays to God the Father on your behalf in your greatest hour, in your greatest need. He's praying to God the Father, and Jesus, He tells the disciples this. He's explaining these things to the disciples. He goes on in John chapter 14, verse 17, to point this out. He says, you know, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you, and He will be in you. All right, notice that he says, for he will be, he lives with you and he will be in you. So Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going away, but my father will send another counselor. And now he says, he won't just be with you, but he is actually going to be in you. And so I wonder to myself if the disciples were just kind of thinking, you know, what's Jesus getting at here? All right. Because remember, they got to spend time with Jesus. And so if you were one of the disciples and Jesus was describing this leaving and that a spirit would come, I think I'd be thinking to myself, do I find greater comfort in the physical presence of Jesus or in this promise that a spirit would come? But think about this. Again, even as you think about the disciples having lived you know, with Jesus and uh, seeing the, the living, breathing, miracle-working Jesus, and He's accessible to them. And there were times, certainly, where they didn't have any clue what He was talking about, but they're able to interact with Him, and they're able to ask Him questions. Again, I have to think, if I had to choose in that moment, I'd rather have the physical Jesus than the Spirit of Jesus, but look at what Jesus is going to say to them. All right, a couple of chapters later in John chapter 16, same context, all right, Jesus is now making his way to the garden, and in verse 7, he says this to them. He says, but very truly I tell you, notice these words, it is for your good that I am going away, because unless I go away, the counselor, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus says, you know what, it's actually better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that's far better. It's actually to your advantage that I go, that the Holy Spirit will now come and live inside of you. It's as if Jesus is saying, you know, you think having access to me in the flesh is great? Wait until I'm in your flesh. Jesus says, you know what, you think I'm able to comfort you by sitting here in this room or taking a walk with you. It's nothing compared to the comfort I'm capable of producing when I'm in you. Or you think you have power just because you know me or you're with me. You have no idea what kind of power will be available to your life and unleashed through you when I move in and when I take up residence in you. And if I'm honest, I'd love to have Christ with us here today. I certainly wouldn't preach, right? I'd take a seat with you and we'd had, have him share uh, for us a little bit. But, but when you think about it, you know, one day we will be with him forever. And that's the promise of Scripture. That's the hope that we have as followers of Christ today, that there will be a day and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more cancer and no more shootings in this world. And I long for that day and I hope you long for that day too. But until then, until then, he has given us a gift that is more than sufficient, the parakletos, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the Spirit of God. But it raises a question. 
Like, who has Jesus given the gift of His Spirit to? I, I confess I didn't uh, get to this part of the message until yesterday, so it didn't make it into your notes. And so if you're taking notes, you might want to make a third section just there on those blank lines, the who has the Spirit, all right? But, but here, here, here's the answer, and, and I want to say this very clearly, that I believe the New Testament, I believe what Jesus points to and what the Apostle Paul explains for us and, and Peter and others is that the New Testament teaches that anyone who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, when you, that moment when you put your faith in Him and when you put your trust in Him, that you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit at that moment, at the moment of your salvation, of your turning to the Lord. Now, I realize this becomes a little confusing because there are some who teach a, a second baptism that's often referred to as the baptism of the, of, of the Spirit, that it's separate from the, the physical baptism of, of water. But, but Scripture, in my mind, or at least the way that I see it, doesn't seem to indicate that because here's what it does teach. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. Again, this is the Apostle Paul here. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, all right, notice those words, the moment you believed in him, look what happened. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, all right, that at that moment that you believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so when did we receive the Spirit? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, when we believed, when you believed, and Paul points out that the Spirit is a, a guarantee, an inheritance, a deposit made inside of every believer guaranteeing our salvation. He goes on in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 9, to say this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit now. We'll talk more about this next week. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And now look at how he distinguishes these. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to to him. Now, understand that the Apostle Paul couldn't make a statement like that unless the receiving of the Spirit was an identifying proof of your salvation in Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit can't be the seal of salvation, as Paul calls him in Ephesians 1, if he has not received that at the moment of salvation. And that presents a, a question for a second baptism, you know, this baptism of the Spirit, but Here's what I believe, and here's what we believe, and if you want to write this down again, I, we believe in one baptism, all right, one moment of salvation, of turning to the Lord for your life and forgiveness of sins, and we encourage everyone to get baptized as Jesus was baptized. We want to follow His example in obedience, all right, but that moment when you turned to Christ, you were given the Spirit of God, but as we remember that, we want to talk about one baptism and many fillings of that. All right, now what's that mean? Again, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but let me just kind of tease it today. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul gives light to this. He, he writes this, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now hang with me for just a second. That phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is a present tense command. And so it's like Paul is saying, hey, I want you to be filled today, right now. Again, present tense, 
But then again, when you read it tomorrow, as you begin to understand these things more and more as a follower of Christ, it's still the present tense for you. Again, be filled, be reminded, be aware of the work and the presence of the Spirit in you, that this isn't something that just happened once in the past and then lasts forever. This is an ongoing command, one baptism, but many fillings. We grow in our awareness. We learn to come under the leadership of the Lord, under the direction of the Spirit of truth. And so, again, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? So glad you asked, right? Let's, let's talk about that for a second as we clo- before we close. I want to go back to John 16 and look at verse 8. And again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's really getting at for us when we talk about this filling of the Spirit and how the Spirit works in us. John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, and when he comes, He will convict the world, and convict is kind of our key word here, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Write this down in your notes, all right? And I think this just kind of gets at the heart of this work of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit in us today. Write this down. The Spirit shows us the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. What's the point? What's the big deal? Again, what's the wrong thing, the right thing, and why why it matters? Jesus says the Spirit works to convict us of sin, to convict us of righteousness and judgment. Again, the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. And then Jesus gives us three sentences to explain each of these. Let's look at them briefly. Verse 9, here's what Jesus has for us. He says, concerning sin, All right, this is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us because they do not believe in me. And so Jesus says the Spirit will convict us of sin, the wrong thing. And I think this is usually what we think of when we think of the word conviction, when we think of the work of the Holy Spirit, we think of being convicted that the Holy Spirit for you in your life as a follower of Jesus can be this voice that kind of guides you one way or the other. It can be this voice when you're about to compromise, saying, don't look at that, don't don't gossip. Don't go that way. Don't do this with your life. Don't take that chance. Don't lie. Don't, don't take that. Someone explained it like this. You know, they said, the, the Spirit helps me to know when to speak and when to keep my mouth closed. Like when you find yourself in a potentially heated conversation with your spouse, that knowing that the wrong words in that moment could be, the, be like gasoline on a fire, it's the Holy Spirit that can give you the right words to say. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that can tell you what not to say or to keep your mouth shut. And then when we choose to ignore His promptings and we end up saying the wrong thing, it's the Holy Spirit that reminds us that you should have been quiet uh, all along. And typically your spouse will remind you too that you say, and will say something that reminds you that you shouldn't have said that. But again, part of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, especially as we do war in this unseen battle, is to convict us of sin. And sometimes that's a prompting to avoid sin, all right? But other times the conviction is for sin already committed. And so does he do that so that we feel guilty? Like, is that the goal of his conviction and of his work to tear us down, to, to bear us with guilt? No, that's not what he's after. He's not after that. But even the conviction of sin in our lives can lead to growth, can lead to transformation for the better for us. There's a powerful example of this in C.S. Lewis' book, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader. And uh, it's about a boy by the name of Eustace who becomes a dragon Uh, But in order to become a little boy again, he must undergo a tremendous amount of pain as the dragon skin is peeled away, torn from his body layer by layer. And it's only after he endures this terribly painful process that he's truly transformed from a dragon 
back into a little boy. And here's what Francis Chan has to say about this and about the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting us of sin. He writes, sometimes the sin we take on becomes such a part of us that it requires the same kind of ripping and tearing to free us. But he says this, the Holy Spirit doesn't seek to hurt us, but he does seek to make us Christ-like, and this can be painful. And so that even the work of the conviction of sin is all about making us more and more Christ-like, changing us and transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. He also convicts of righteousness, uh, which just simply means he shows us the way to live. Verse 10 there, Jesus says, concerning righteousness now, because I go to the Father and you no longer will see me. You know, when Jesus walked on this earth, he was a tangible, physical presence of righteousness to live out. I mean, all the disciples had to do was look to Jesus. You want to know how to live your life? Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. But now he's telling the disciples that he's going away, and he says, because you'll no longer see me, now the Spirit of God that will be at work in you, he's the one that will convict you of righteousness. He'll remind you of everything I said. He'll remind you of everything that I've done, and he will show you what is right and the right way of living and responding in this world. And what, what, what prompted Mark that I mentioned a moment ago to stop by our office this week, I believe was the work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, Mark, you've got a job here. Why don't you stop by and encourage this church and how I am working through them? See, it's the Holy Spirit that will show us what's right and how to live our lives for the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit will show us right living, righteousness, and then Jesus says he'll convict us of judgment too. This is the, the part of why it matters. What's the point here? Look at verse 11. Jesus said to them, And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Note those words, ruler of this world. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but Jesus is talking about Satan here. Steve did a great job last week explaining how our enemy is alive and active and how he'll go to great lengths to steal and kill and destroy you and me in this world. He's the enemy in our lives. He's the enemy of our great God in heaven in this unseen war. But notice that Jesus says, notice this very clearly, notice that Jesus says he has been judged, period, past tense. And what does that mean? Well, it's a reminder, it's an encouragement for us that through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, Satan has already been judged and he's already been condemned. And though he remains active and alive today, and though he's still creating chaos in this world, what I believe Jesus is saying to us is that we're to treat him as a condemned criminal, that God has determined a day and a moment for execution for him. You could say that his days are numbered here on this earth. And just knowing that, I think just knowing that for me makes the title of our series a little misleading. Why? Well, because as we talked about last week, the fighting continues but friends, the war has been won. We have victory in Jesus Christ because of the work of Christ on the cross and because God sent the Spirit of Jesus to raise Christ from the dead. And while I know for my life and for many of you that we long for the day when we will be with Jesus in eternity, and again, there'll be no more sin and death, there'll be no more Satan. For now, we remain in this world. In fact, just as the Spirit of God was called into this world to go alongside of us, we're called as followers of Christ and as a church to remain in this world. 
as soldiers in this battle, not left to fend for ourselves, though. There's our encouragement for today. But to stand firm together, to proclaim victory in Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus and as a church. And I pray that you can find that maybe part of why you're here today is to find hope in that, to find encouragement in just that today, that no matter what you're going through in your life right now, God has provided you a friend and a helper and power in the Holy Spirit and the presence of God for your life. And again, we'll talk more about what this means and what it means to live by the Spirit next week. But maybe for some of you as we close this morning, the question for you is, do I have the Holy Spirit? Is that something that I have in my life? Well, the question that I would ask back to you is, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you point to a moment when you surrendered your life to Him? And if so, yes, He is in you. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if not, well, maybe it's time for you. We know that Satan's days are numbered. Do you know what? Our days are numbered too. All of us, we get one life here on this earth. And it's what we do with that life and who we turn to in that life that matters the most. And so maybe part of your question that you need to ask of yourself today is, am I ready to turn to Jesus? Because he's available to you, his forgiveness, his life, the gift of his presence is available to you. And for others of you today, you know you've given your life to Jesus Christ, but maybe you find yourself discouraged this morning, even asking, if I've got the Spirit in me, it sure doesn't seem like it right now. A better question for you might be, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does he have all of your attention right now? Does he have all of your determination, all of your focus, everything you are and hope to be? And what does it look like even for you today to surrender your will to him and to say, I want to know more so that I can live more and with a greater awareness of the power and presence of God for my life? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for uh, the gift, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And what a reminder today that we have a gift in your presence that is available to every single one of us here today as we turn, as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And for some, that might be a first time and maybe even a moment today, Lord, where they turn their heart and their faith towards you. And I pray that you'd respond to them in that moment as they do. And for others... Uh, maybe it's just an awareness that I know that I've surrendered my life to Christ, that my salvation is in Him, that I have the Holy Spirit in me. But maybe the greater question for you today is, do the whole, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? Am I living for myself or am I living for something greater? Father, move in us today. We want to bring our lives and everything that we are and hope to be under you and under your leadership and guidance and direction for us in this world pray this. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus.